Rewatching Good TV Podcast Network presents The Sorkin Cast. Hey, and welcome to the Sorkin Cast, episode 9 of the podcast, where we are in the watch of the first season of West Wing, and this week we'll be covering season 1, episode 9, entitled The Shortlist. My name is Matt Murdock, and I am from sorkincast.wordpress.com, and that's where you can find all of the episodes of the podcast, and you can also find contact links and podcatcher links. A review on iTunes would be very much appreciated if you could take the time to do so. Uh, That helps me understand what you like or dislike about the show and helps keep me uh, noticeable among other TV podcasts. On the 12th episode of this podcast, uh, I will be announcing a thanks to everybody who has left reviews on iTunes, so be sure to get yours in so you can hear your name mentioned on the podcast. Or if you have any feedback for the first 11 episodes of Season 1 of The West Wing, if you get your feedback into me by I now have a date since I've been pre-recording these and I finally figured out how these podcasts will lay out schedule-wise, if you leave me feedback in regards to any of the first 11 episodes by September 6th, then I will read that feedback in that 12th episode as well. You may be asking, well, Matt, why don't you do the feedback every week? And the only thing I can tell you is that I'm pre-recording these. For instance, this is June right now when I'm recording these, and I think you're hearing this one uh, somewhere around mid-August. So uh, I will have that week of September 6th to be able to collect all of your feedback and record your feedback into a single podcast, and I would love to have your thoughts. Uh, How do you submit feedback, you might ask? Uh, You can email the podcast, sorkincast at gmail.com, or you can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line. That's 314-669-1840 and leave a voicemail there. Please do say that you're leaving it for the Sorkincast because that particular line is just a single line that I have where I take feedback for multiple podcasts. So make sure that you're saying you're leaving it for the Sorkincast. And you can also tweet at Sorkincast on Twitter. And those are the ways to reach me with your feedback on any of these episodes. And I would love to hear what you're thinking of them so far. All right, that's enough of the housekeeping. Let's get into talking about Season 1, Episode 9, The Short List. First of all, here's some statistics for you. The story was written by D.D. Myers and Aaron Sorkin. The teleplay was written by Patrick Cadell and Aaron Sorkin. And the episode was directed by Bill Delia? Delia? Uh, I'm not sure how you say that guy's name. As you know, I'm terrible with uh, names, so uh, if you haven't learned that by now, you certainly know now. Um, The episode first aired on November 24th, 1999, and was viewed by an estimated 8 million viewers. Remember that West Wing first debuted with 12.1 million viewers, so they've lost a third of their viewership by this point. Um, And I don't really know if that comments that much on just the fact that they were getting into the holiday season. It's like Thanksgiving when this first airs, November 24th. Um, That might be part of why this one was particularly low. However, uh, it is interesting to note how much the ratings have dropped uh, from the premiere to this point. Personally, I'm enjoying the series more now because I'm enjoying more aspects to the characters. But, um, you know, TV audiences are fickle, I suppose. Uh, At any rate, uh, the show did end up running uh, seven seasons. So there wasn't any worry of anything being canceled at this point, I don't suppose. One other thing I'd like to say about this particular episode, uh, there are three great guest stars in this particular one. Uh, you have Ken Howard, who plays uh, Judge, uh, what is it, Peyton Cabot Harrison the Third. You have Mason Adams, who plays the retiring Judge uh, Justice Joseph Crouch. And then you have Edward James Elmos, 
uh, of course, of uh, Battlestar Galactica fame. Well, many shows, fames, uh, but he plays Judge Mendoza. So there's some information there. Uh, here's an episode summary for you. The White House has to try to get it right when given an opportunity to appoint a justice to the Supreme Court. Danny continues to try to get a date with CJ, and a headline-seeking member of Congress strikes too close to home when making accusations of drug abuse towards the staff at the White House. And each week, we always do a walk and talk, and I thought it might be kind of fun to show just how extremely dated Sorkin can sometimes make his shows by trying to put in pop references and stuff. Uh, so just to show how extremely dated this particular episode is and how cheesy that can be sometimes. Um, though in this case, it also it makes me feel like it's showing just kind of what geeks Josh and Toby and Sam are. Uh, but we're going to do this celebration walk and talk. Uh, that those three have uh, in order to tell Bartlett that Harrison has agreed to meet about the appointment. Here's that. Wait! What? Don't you want to know about the banging in your office? Banging in my office? They've been at it all morning. Banging? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Josh, there is a loud banging or thumping coming from the floor above your office. I didn't notice. How could you not notice? Because I didn't, Donna. I've been on the phone for the last hour trying to seal a deal to fill a seat on the Supreme Court. So, you know... It was a pretty loud banging, Josh. You understand I'm talking about the United States Supreme Court, right? Yes. Okay. Who demand? We demand. We demand! Mm. This is just gross. Wait here for me. <laughs> morning, Mrs. Lenningham. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning indeed. Josh. Yes, Mrs. Lenningham. Is it done? Well, that depends on your answer to this question, Mrs. Lanningham. Who to men? Excuse me, Josh? Um, <laughs> who to men? You to men. We to men! You to men. He's waiting for you. Thank you. <laughs> and the episode, of course, always has its quick jabs, what I call quick jabs. Uh, here's some humorous quotes for you. If the name of this nominee is leaked out before I want it to be leaked out, I'm going to blame you and you're going to find that unpleasant. I've got to tell you something, Toby. You're hot when you're like this. You know what we're finally going to have? Waspy old man on the Supreme Court? A smooth confirmation process. What do you think? It's going to sail. I hope so. It's going to sail, Donna. There's many a slip twixt the tongue and the wrist, Josh. <sighs> yes, well, your fortune cookie wisdom notwithstanding, it's going to sail. Please don't get your hopes up. Why should I get my hopes up? Because when it doesn't work out, you end up drunk in my apartment in the middle of the night and you yell at my roommate's cats. Is it possible for Peter Lillingfield to be a bigger jackass? You think if he tried hard, there's room for him to be a slightly bigger horse's ass than he's being right now? At some point, you hit your head on the ceiling, don't you? I think there's unexplored potential. What's up? Josh? Five White House staffers in the room. I would like to say to the 1.6 of you who are stoned right now that it's time to share. <laughs> How does Lillian feel to get his information? Uh, he's on the House Government Oversight Committee. These are the people who literally decide if we get heat and electricity in the White House. So they have access to background information? Yes. Josh? Yeah. You shouldn't feel uncomfortable about interviewing me. I met you. I talked to you. I hired you. You know anybody around here who uses drugs? Yes. You want to tell me who they are? No. Good for you. Consider yourself interviewed. You're a good boy, Josh. I've seen your records. I know. You need to learn that no parking means no parking. The thing is, sometimes I can't find a space. I was interrogating this intern from the legislative liaison's office, and she broke down crying while telling me about a bong she had made out of an eggplant. You can do that? I used to use a potato. You've always been industrious. So you would have no objection to the state of New Hampshire passing a law banning the use of cream in coffee? I would have strong objection, Mr. President, as I like cream as well. But I would have no constitutional basis to strike down the law when you brought your case to the Supreme Court. As I lose the votes of coffee drinkers everywhere. And that's our upfront stuff, so let's move on to the first clip where Josh, Sam, and Toby tell Bartlett that Harrison has accepted the idea of being nominated, and Toby is placed in charge of the nomination process. Then Bartlett gets schooled by retiring Justice Crouch about his potential replacement, CJ gets hounded again by Danny, and Mandy learns that a congressman is holding a press conference. Then Toby and CJ find out that the press conference is about potential drug use in the White House. 
Done. You got yourself a Supreme Court nominee, Mr. President. This is huge. Which one of you is the man? On this one, we'd like to think of ourselves collectively as the men's. <laughs> Mrs. Landingham, let's make the phone call. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. You too. Well done, sir. Thank you. You guys rock. Oh, we really do. Let's bring in the chairman and the ranking member from judiciary, the leadership from both sides. CJ, let the press know that the president will introduce his nominee at an East Room press ceremony Thursday, 5 p.m. Could we do it on Friday and give ourselves more time? Thursday. Why? Because that's when people watch TV. We can do this in four days? Yeah. Are you sure? Yep. Toby, you're running the show. I know. But the ball in the hole. It's done. No, it's not, so get it done. Yes, sir. Josh, get me everything. We vetted him two months. We're going to vet him four more days. I want to know every parking ticket. I want to know every girlfriend he stood up for dinner in 1953. Mandy, you're going to roll this guy out in a show that makes the Queen's coronation look like dinner theater. Sam, you're going to write the president's introduction. You're also going to write Harrison's remarks. Harrison's not going to like that. You show him the robe he gets. I like it fine. CJ, no leaks. I am going to put Harrison on the court. I swear to God I am. We meet again in three hours. You're too young to retire, Joseph. You're an excellent liar, Mr. President. Uh, yes, sir. You're going to go with Harrison? He's on the short list. With how many other names? We'll make our announcement on Thursday. You've decided on Harrison. I haven't made a decision yet, Joseph. Did you even consider Mendoza? Mendoza was on the short list. Mendoza was on the short list so you could show you had an Hispanic on the short list. That's not true, Joseph. You ran great guns in the campaign. And then you drove to the middle of the road the moment after you took the oath. <clears throat> Joseph. The middle of the road. Excuse me, sir. I wanted to retire five years ago, but I waited for a Democrat. <laughs> and instead, I got you. Hey. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Danny. Is it going to be Harrison? Why, why, oh why do you ask me questions that you absolutely positively know I'm not going to answer? It's a good conversation starter. I can't go out on a date with you, Danny. Who asked you? Okay. I think Harrison's going to be good justice. Danny? See what I did there? Yes. I tried to trick you into confirming it was Harrison. Yes. Didn't work. No. And you won't go out on a date with me, right? Right. Okay. Take the next few days with your staff and give Mendoza the consideration he deserves. Joseph, when the next seat opens up, I promise when you... When the next get... seat opens up, you'll be writing your memoirs. In three years, I would hope to be writing You're going to get beat in three years. Josh, why is Peter Lillianfield holding a press conference? Who cares? I do. Why is Lillianfield holding a press conference? I don't know. Is he unhappy about something? He's always unhappy about something. Names like Schlesinger, Sorens, and Rumsfeld, and Persons have been replaced by a roster of Ivy League liberals and Hollywood darlings. One in three of who, one in three, use drugs on a regular basis. Get her. CJ? Tell him I'm watching. And ask exactly is it as i stated about the walk and talk and and in today's day and age of course the the first five minutes of this episode are kind of a dated waste of time at least in my opinion uh still you get the sense that most of the staff feels that this nominee is a big win for them right but when you find out later in the episode that it, it seems that Harrison is much more about smooth confirmation and, and looking for poll boosts. You worry if this white house has once again, gone off the path that they had intended to have. Um, now it's easy for me to play the result, uh, having watched the whole episode and playing the result. I suppose you can say that's less of an issue. Uh, but one of the key themes that I think that Sorkin plays with during the entirety of this show is that kind of battle between the angels and demons of politics that basically Bartlett and Toby had that talk about a few episodes ago. And you can definitely see by Crouch's statements to Bartlett that he seems kind of concerned about it too. I actually kind of love seeing Crouch call Bartlett out and the way it eventually gets this whole nomination process kind of on the right path finally or so it would seem um, the battle of what's best for the polls as opposed to what's best for the country I, I think that's a 
kind of a struggle for Bartlett a lot of times. And Crotch's words about the president losing any future election, I think, is one of the things that really goads him in no way that no other motivation seems to be able to. Once again, uh, Bartlett hates losing. I'll say that time and time again. Now, as for this CJ and Danny stuff, I mean, that's really just kind of fluff in this clip, but I, I do love where this episode kind of leads them in terms of, of shipping the two of them. And if you ship them, I'm sure you probably love it too. So uh, that's for us that do that and for you haters. Uh, too bad. I'm going to keep talking about it. That's just the way it goes. Finally, uh, let's talk about Josh and Mandy for a second, because even though Josh uh, does eventually call Mandy out on her motivations for worrying about Lillian Field's press conference, the fact that it's going to take away attention from from what Toby has assigned her to do, uh, I do love that Mandy has a good radar uh, for the message. I mean, she understands that this Lillian Field thing it could be trouble. I know that sometimes it seems her solutions are a bit overreactive, but... I, I kind of love how the argument is presented in this episode over the issue of privacy uh, and and not I, I feel like it, that both sides of that issue are, are fairly well represented in this episode. But we'll talk more about that later. Let's move on to clip two, where the staff discusses what to do about the Lillian Field story. And Josh gets assigned to play the quote unquote bad cop with the rest of the employees. Bartlett's talk with Crotch gets him to look further into Mendoza, even though Harrison is still his first choice. And Sam gets some information that might be a problem with Harrison's nomination. Short term, long term. Short term, nothing. I can't go with nothing. Why not? Pretend we didn't see it. He's a liar. He's a fool. Categorically deny it and move on. She can't. I can't. Why not? Because more than 1,300 people work for the White House, Josh. I go into the press room and categorically deny that anyone uses drugs, and it turns out the three guys in the photo lab blew a joint over the weekend, which is not, like, out of the realm of possibility. And my next question but is... But you categorically denied it. Now you admit there are three. Yes, well, I categorically deny that there are any more than three. But now it seems that the assistant to the deputy director of White House Beverages right. is confessing to a life as a closet junkie. Yes, and I understand she's selling her story to Random House for a middle six-figure advance. All right, are we done with Masterpiece Theater? CJ, we're looking into it, okay? Huh? That's what we're saying right now. I don't care if we say that, but we're not actually looking into it, are we? Yes. This is a joke, right? Toby, if the alternative is getting Harrison bumped from the top story... We're not going to postpone. Let's end this fast. How? You know how. No, I don't. Andy. What I'm saying Go back is... to work, Mandy. No, hang on a second. I want to hey. hear what... Go back to work. Lillian Field is walking on our stage, and he's not going to get off until he gets off, is what I'm saying. We are not taking drug tests. Why not? Because we're not! Toby, let's end this. Toby, Shut if up. you... Go. Sam, go back to doing what you're doing. They just delivered five cartons of Harrison's old papers. And go start reading. Toby, what do we know? What do they know? No, wait, hang on a second. Josh. You're not making me... I'm not going to be the internal affairs cop around yes, here. You, you want to know who's doing what around here? You ask him yourself. This isn't the time, Josh. We're taking water over the side. And I'm not indifferent to that, but there is a principle here that no, you... No, there's not. Not this week. We've been doing this for a year, and all we've gotten is a year older. Our job approval is 48%, and I think that number's soft, and I'm tired of being a field captain for the gang that couldn't shoot straight. We're getting this done. When is Harrison getting in? Late tonight. Good. Morning, Charlie. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning. Peyton Cabot Harrison. Find out what kind of cigars he likes, what kind of perfume his wife likes, and have him sent over to their hotel, okay? Back channels, sir? Yeah. They're going to stake the hotels. Gifts coming from We're the White House. back channels. What is going on with Lillianfield? You're staying out of it. Fine. Anything else? We're going to get this done, right? Yes, sir. All right. Leo? Yes, sir. We looked at everybody, right? Sir? The short list, we looked at Mendoza. We looked at him. Leo. We fixed on Harrison. Yeah, you're right. I'll see you later. Yes, sir. Morning, Toby. Morning, sir. Do this for me. Put together some information on Roberto Mendoza. Sir, the, it's natural to have second thoughts, but... No, I just want to be able to know something. There are going to be a lot of questions. I don't want it to be like we had a Hispanic on the short list. What is it you're looking for? The reason we didn't go with him. The reason we didn't go with him, sir, is because Harrison said yes. Let's do better than that. Yes, sir. Oh, what's going on with this drug thing? You don't want a piece of that. All right, I'll trust you. Thanks. 
Good morning, Mr. Good morning, Sam. Uh, Toby wants me to look at Mendoza. What? Got a phone call before from a guy with some information. I just picked it up. I read it on the way back. It's not good. Is it the drugs? No. What is it? It's Harrison. Close the door. Now, one thing that, as a person who's watched a lot of cable lately and a lot of television without commercial interruptions, or even in today, the way we watch TV today, where we quickly skip through commercials, it's not a big a deal. But back at this time, 1999, um, teleplays especially had to be written towards a commercial break. And this particular teleplay, especially with this little mystery about uh, Harrison, um, that that was perfect writing to what I guess writers call writing to the break or whatever, uh, because it makes you want to stick around to find out what it is, right? Or at least it did me. Uh, it makes me stick through the commercials um, so that I don't miss what the big reveal about Harrison is. Like I said, TV no longer works that way anymore, but um, I guess network TV shows still have to play to the commercial break a little bit uh, more so than um, some other, net, you know, the, the, the cable and such. Uh, but uh, I, I thought that that was done really well in this particular case. And I know I said I'd talk more about it in the future, but really the whole theme of this episode is privacy, um, which... Sam will eventually get to pontificate a little bit about in this episode. But even here with with the drug testing discussion, everything kind of ties together beautifully all about privacy because the uh, the drug testing is really kind of a privacy matter in its own self, right? Uh, I'm not really surprised that Mandy comes up with the solution that she does about the drug problem and, and, and not because I think that she's bad for suggesting it, even though I personally feel that drug tests are in fact uh, pretty much a terrible violation of rights uh, but in Mandy's case even even though it may be slightly self-motivated in the fact that it could trump the nomination and, and her press strategy uh, she does have the interest of the image of the White House in mind when she suggests it and and that's her job uh, you don't have to necessarily agree with her suggestion but that's what she's hired to do so I say good for her for having the strength to to put it out there, even if it does seem like the wrong suggestion. I also love the fact that the guy who is kind of most vocal about this issue is the guy who has to be the bad guy. There's kind of a nice irony in that, that Josh is the guy that's like way against any of this stuff, but he's the guy that has to be the one enforcing this stuff. After his little protest with Toby, though, he does do his job, even if, he does it a little half-heartedly, as you, you see with Donna. Um, but as for Toby, now, he is also image-driven right now, and, and maybe too much so. I mean, his bit about how the ball keeps getting dropped is definitely a result of a guy who is frustrated by the fact that every time he thinks that he can be idealistic, something whacks them from out of nowhere, and, and he's got to try and help do Mandy's job, basically. Still... Uh, when I, when I think about that whole better angels talk that he had with Bartlett a few episodes back in this particular episode, for the most part of it, I look at Toby and I try to figure out if he's being a hypocrite here in a lot of ways. And I, I come to the conclusion that, yeah, uh, maybe just a little bit. Toby is being a hypocrite. He preached to Bartlett about this one thing one time, and now he's, uh, kind of going in the other direction. Now, as for Bartlett himself, uh, I think that basketball game, which I keep referring to, uh, that conversation with Toby a few episodes, is actually getting to him in the positive way on this side. It's almost kind of a little bit of a role reversal here. And he's questioning whether, you know, his better angels are being shouted down because of his choice of, about Harrison. Um, I'm not sure that it really matters because Toby is the guy that is, is telling him that Harrison is a smooth sail for confirmation. And again... Bartlett wants to win. Um, but I think that Crotch's statements appeal to the other side of winning, too. In other words, the, the kind of the winning in the long run, which um, to me, that kind of creates this interesting dichotomy for Bartlett as well. I also like how Bartlett is having second thoughts uh, is kind of a callback to the very episode I was talking about, because Toby himself 
wasn't Bartlett's first choice for the communications director. Uh, and, uh, you know, if we like Toby, then we like to think that Bartlett made the right choice there by uh, not getting his first choice. And so maybe we have to hope that Mendoza is actually the better choice since it's not Bartlett's first choice. <laughs> anyway, that's enough about that clip. Let's move on to clip three, where Sam and Toby discuss the Harrison problem. Mandy and Josh argue about the drug testing. Danny flirts with CJ and Josh goes to an inside source who turns out to be Danny in order to figure out what the heck is going on with Lillian Field. Then Toby and Sam bring the Harrison issue to Bartlett and he tells Leo that he wants to meet with Mendoza. It's called an unsigned note. You remember of law reviews required to prepare one. It's like an article. Unsigned note is. It's 40 or so pages, well researched, footnoted, and revised with faculty supervision, then it's published. Without the names. Without the names. It's a scholarly work. How do we know Harrison? What? I'm supposed to just trust the guy on the phone? I've spent the last three months reading everything Harrison's written, from decisions to memos to amicus briefs, Toby. He's the author of the unsigned note. Bonnie? Yeah. I'm going to need the next five minutes. The president's gone. Yeah. We have everyone take a drug test and be done with it. What makes you think that everyone here can pass a drug test? What is wrong in this day and age with demonstrating that the White House is drug-free? What is wrong with giving people that comfort? I would think that in this day and age, people would be more comfortable knowing that they will not now, nor will they ever be forced to turn over evidence against themselves. This thing gets bungled, and we're not going to have to struggle much to find the spotlight. So what do you think's really going on here? I don't know. It's time to talk to whoever it is you talk to. How you doing? What do you want? It was a bit of a blunder back there. It was fine. He challenged Lillianfield to present evidence. He knows his cue when he hears it. I left my notebook somewhere. Also, did you really want to be the first person to use the word subpoena? In the context? I don't care what the context was. It's the only word anybody's going to read tomorrow. I really don't need your chips, Danny. As a matter of fact, you do, CJ, but that's not why I'm here. Why are you here? I'm here because there's a basketball team called the New York Knickerbockers who are playing in town tomorrow. I don't have time to go to a basketball game. Neither do I. Which is why I thought we could watch it in your office. Well, I explain it to you in a patronizing manner because I know that's something women usually like. Thank you, anyway. You understand I'll talk slow and explain in a way a girl would appreciate. Danny. You got a minute? Lillian feels a jackass, but he's not stupid. If he's talking, he's got something. What? Whatever it is, a small potato is just enough to get the rock rolling down the mountain. What's he trying to hit? I don't know. Is it the nomination? Well, that's what I thought, too, but Harrison's going to sail by no matter what. No one said it's Harrison. Yeah, yeah. My point is this. He's not going to waste it on a done deal. He's after something better. Okay. Thanks. Josh, this is one of those times, man. Don't screw this up. CJ likes goldfish. What? She likes goldfish. Can't get enough of them. Thanks! We spent two months vetting our home run nominee. He doesn't believe in a privacy guarantee, and it never came up. It was simply never an issue in any ruling he handed down. And if I may, sir, we don't know for sure that he's the author of the document. We do know. If he is, I don't think we can necessarily hold a 55-year-old man responsible Toby. for something he wrote when he was 26. We're not going to be able to hold him responsible if we put him on the bench. Or I promise you, this issue is going to come up. When does Harrison get in? Later tonight. I want him first thing in the morning. Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. President. Uh, excuse me. Give us the room. I want to meet Mendoza. Yes, sir. So I got to go all meta again for a moment in regards to this show. I, I love the continual theme of this show, especially in the first season. This whole image versus the right thing. And, and for the most part, that the way it's presented in the show is not strictly white hat or black hat. Um, the issues that this show kind of brings up tend to divide people who are, of course, much smarter than me to opposite sides of the argument on a daily basis. Um, back then, in our world today, uh, some of these arguments continue. So... Just for instance, let's let's look at Mandy here. I mean, she asks a great question. Wouldn't the public be assured if they took the drug tests? And it's a good argument for doing so. 
But an equally compelling argument is Josh's, which, of course, looks at, to me, looks more at big picture stuff. Uh, and, and I don't, re- again, I don't disrespect Mandy for having this opinion. Again, she's doing her job. And uh, just like in that uh, episode, Crackpots and These Women, uh, a prior episode, she just doesn't back down. You know, when I first saw this series and uh, I watched that episode, Crackpots and These Women, and I heard Leo and the president um, saying that about her, about her not backing down. I'm not sure if I completely bought into why they admired her for that trait, but I, I think that now I'm starting to see that. Now, M- Mandy never really becomes a favorite character for me because I think it's because Sorkin often gives her the role of pontificating for image when I think that ultimately Sorkin wants us to root for that big picture stuff or what is right or what he considers to be right. But I, I don't think he ever really turns Mandy into a bad guy either, at least not on the issues, merely just as kind of a, a presenter of the opposing view. And I think that you also, as far as Mandy's concerned, you have to respect that she's smart. And because she's figuring out that this whole Lillian Field thing is a big picture, that proves that she's smart. And that's what kind of gets, again, gets Josh off on the right direction. Remember, way back even in the pilot, when Bubba and I were discussing it, uh, we were uh, talking about how the fact that, you know, Josh seems like he's really getting things done with Congress and stuff, but it was Toby who pointed out the whole thing about Mandy in the first place. Uh, and so that's, that's the way it is. Uh, once Josh is set in the right direction, he can handle it. But sometimes Josh doesn't necessarily get pointed in the right direction, possibly. Anyway, uh, it is great to see that what I'll say is one of Josh's uh, many sources. It's great to see that it's Danny. Um, now there's a lot of separate history with both Josh and Danny, uh, which first watchers don't know yet as, as to why they get so good at their jobs or why they are so good at their jobs and why they are so close to the president. But I'd rather let that stuff be revealed in the episodes as they come. Uh, so I'm not going to say anything more about that, but I do love the kind of, of stiff friendship that they have here. Um, an ally allies at a, at uh, an arm's distance, I guess is the best way to put it. Uh, so let's just uh, leave that there. And as for the unsigned note uh, that this Harrison has done, well, I mean, this brings everything into the episode under that purview of privacy as a right. And that includes the drug testing thing. I've kind of already uh, talked about that, but uh, I will address it more in a little bit after we get through clip four. And in this clip, Bartlett, Sam, and Toby talk to Harrison about his unsigned note. Josh figures out what's going on with Lillian Field. And Danny takes Josh's tip and gives CJ a goldfish. Finally, Bartlett, Toby, and Sam decide that Harrison is the wrong choice to nominate for the Supreme Court. Judge Harrison, first things first, are you the author of this unsigned note? (laughs) Yes, sir. I'm going to bring Toby Ziegler and Sam Seaborn in here and talk about this a little bit. That's fine, sir. Okay. I guess you're the guy with the worst job in the building this week. Hmm? Leo, you know that the worst kept secret in Washington is that you're a recovering alcoholic, right? I had a hunch. <laughs> Were you maybe into something that wasn't so acceptable? Pills. Were you in treatment? Sierra Tucson, six years ago. Leo. Records kept by these facilities are confidential, Josh. He's got them. You're Leo McGarry. You're not going to be taken down by this small fraction of a man. The Constitution doesn't provide for a right of privacy. The right doesn't exist. The Third Amendment says soldiers can't be quartered in private homes. The Fifth provides protection against self-incrimination. And the Fourth, against unreasonable searches. Do you deny the right to privacy lives in those passages? No, I do not deny it. But the fact that the framers enumerated those specific protections is all the more reason to believe that they had no intention 
of making privacy a de facto right. They just fought a revolution. They had no question of their freedoms. The Bill of Rights was meant to codify the most crucial of those rights, not to limit the others. I do this for a living, Mr. Seaborn. So do I, Your Honor. You were right. I know. The word subpoena appears in the lead in every story in this morning's papers. I know. Not yours. That's just because I couldn't spell it. What are you holding? It's goldfish. Why? It's for you. Really? Josh said you like goldfish. <laughs> the cracker is standing. The cheese things that you have at a party. <laughs> ah. Ah. Gentlemen, laws must emanate from the Constitution. There are natural laws, Judge. I do not deny there are natural laws, Mr. Ziegler. I only deny that judges are empowered to enforce them. And this sideshow is over with all due respect, Mr. President. I find this kind of questioning very rude. We all know you need me as much as I need you. I read the same polling information you do. Now you have me taken to school by some kid. He took you out for a ride, sir, because that's what I told him to do. Could you give us a little time, please? We'll make you comfortable while you're waiting. Certainly. Thank you. Put him on a bus. That's a guaranteed confirmation we're sending out the door based on a 30-year-old piece of paper, which, by the way, no one will ever know about but us. You don't think the guy that called Sam would know how to call a senator's office? Mr. President, if this is really about abortion, he already it's told us... It's not about abortion. It's about the next 20 years. 20s and 30s, it was the role of government. 50s and 60s, it was civil rights. The next two decades are going to be privacy. I'm talking about the Internet. I'm talking about cell phones. I'm talking about health records and who's gay and who's not. And moreover, in a country born on the will to be free, what could be more fundamental than this? Toby. Let's meet Mendoza. Let's get to the small stuff first. Danny and CJ. I know for many of you, this is just a, like, all throwaway storyline, but don't you love it? He finally kind of broke through, at least a little bit, uh, with her, I think. And, and, and thank goodness, because... <laughs> Any sane man should have probably given up by, you know, a long time ago, as many times as she'd blown him off. But now there's a glimmer of hope for us CJ Danny shippers. Okay, on to bigger stuff. Uh, this thing with Lillianfield turns out to be huge. Lillianfield can, can basically destroy this White House uh, if this stuff gets out here about Leo. Because Leo is the closest advisor to the president. And if he's painted in a way that Lillianfield wishes to, it could be devastating. Now, here's the thing. It's never made really clear to me how Josh gets to this conclusion that he does. And, And that bothers me just a little bit. I mean, to me, it seems like just accepting that Josh is smart is what we're supposed to do. Uh, and I do accept that he's smart, but I, I would have liked to have seen at least a little bit more of a breadcrumb trail uh, to to help Josh get there. It might have made me believe that he could just jump to that assessment if there was one there. Either way, uh, what you do have to hate is, is how scared Leo looks. Uh, I, I really, really felt for Leo in this moment. We've seen Leo be down about his wife and on the whole thing with the uh, the meeting and the way that John uh, Hoynes helped him before, the vice president. Um, and, and you feel for Leo because he's a man who seems to be doing his job really well uh, and to be possibly get taken down by this uh, quote-unquote small fraction of a man, as Josh calls him, um, that's just scary uh, for me. I really felt for Leo in that moment. And that that scene, I think, probably becomes more emotional than it, it should, at least for me, when I rewatch it, partially because of the fact that I've watched the series to its conclusion, uh, and partially because I think of the great acting from John Spencer and Bradley Whitford in this scene. And uh, also, i got to say, partially because of uh, W.G. Snuffy's score under the the last few moments of this scene. In fact, this episode is full 
of fantastically executed uh, scenes for me. Uh, and, and this particular scene with Leo and Josh is definitely one of them. And finally, this whole big talk with Harrison, Bartlett, Sam, and Toby, uh, the, the one thing that I love is that this talk is kind of divided up into several scenes, and it kind of lines out the progression uh, for each and every character involved, and, and you can see how the meeting is turning by separating it a little bit. You don't have to just uh, have one long scene here. And uh, when, when we get to the end of it, you have uh, Sam, who is kind of our idealistic protagonist um, in many stories and, and seemingly here too. Uh, he gives the Sorkin kind of quote-unquote moral of the story that really ties everything in this episode together about privacy. What amazes me, I think, so much about this is that I think about how kind of forward-thinking Sorkin was when he put those words in Sam's mouth. In a post-9-11 world, privacy is a huge issue for the bench. And even if the issue probably should have been on our radar screens like a long, long time ago, um, it seems to be even more prevalent now. Uh, and, of course, that hadn't happened yet when Sorkin wrote this episode. One, I think, can only hope that every White House ever considers this issue very carefully when making policy decisions, appointments, or nominations, or whatever. And uh, again, uh, this is another one of those scenes where it's helped a lot by uh, Snuffy's music. Um, he does this great job of, of giving the audience a, f a feeling that this is the right stand when, when it's going underneath Sam's speech. It, it's pretty amazing what woodwinds and strings can make a person feel without even knowing that that's the reason that they're feeling it. And that's um, the, the way they're used uh, is what we call uh, psychoacoustics. And it does definitely make a difference in the tone of a scene. Um, now, as for what Snuffy has done in terms of the, the kind of music that he's written, and whatever. I mean, he's taken a big page from another Aaron, uh, Aaron Copeland. Uh, he's using Aaron Copeland's style uh, in an Aaron Sorkin show. But Copeland's style of music, it, it, it kind of has defined a feeling of American patriotism and pride with the stuff that he's written or, or wrote uh, back in the uh, early 1900s to the 1920s and 30s. Um, Snuffy kind of like really takes a page from Copeland's book and, and he applies it really well here. And uh, as I said before, uh, in many podcasts prior, Toby, uh, the reason you have to love Toby is because, uh, he learns. And I think that Toby once again grows here and him being a hypocrite finally kind of fades away into a, a just right decision and I also love the fact that Bartlett is like right on it. As soon as the interview is over, he's, he's saying, put him on a bus. Um, he's let his better angel speak to him as well. And that's all I'm going to say for that clip. Let's move on to the final clip where Mandy and Josh argue about the merits of Mendoza. Leo tells Bartlett about his problem with Lillian Field. And Toby, Sam, and Bartlett interview Mendoza and ask him to accept a nomination for the Supreme Court. You don't have to tell me how to be a good person, Josh. I'm the one who has to sell this, and he is not exactly America's idea of Supreme Court justice. Manny, I don't... Let's do a side-by-side -side comparison. Harrison went to Walnut Park Country Day, Phillips Exeter, and Princeton undergrad and Harvard Law. Mendoza attended PS 138 in Brooklyn, City University of New York, and the New York Police Academy. Harrison, clerk for Warren Berger. Mendoza. New York City Police Department, 65 to 76. Assistant District Attorney, Brooklyn, 76 to 80. Assistant U.S. Attorney, Eastern District, Federal District Judge, Eastern District. But let me tell you something. Mendoza went to law school the hard way. He got shot in the leg, and when they offered him 100% dispensation, he took a desk job instead and went to law school at night. He is brilliant, decisive, compassionate, and experienced. And if you don't think that he's America's idea of a jurist, then... You don't have enough faith in Americans. It's not Americans that don't have faith in Josh. It's the White House senior staff. <laughs> this is not going to be an easy one. And if all hell breaks loose over Lillianfield, it could honestly cripple us for a year, maybe more. <sighs> well, I mean, 
Just the law of large numbers says we gotta win one one of these days, right? Yeah. So let's make it a good one. Mr. President, what is it, Leo? There's gonna be trouble. Lillian Field? Yes, sir. He knows. We think so. We? Josh has it. What does Josh say? Get through it. Josh is a smart guy. No, sir. Josh is a young guy. We used to be, too. <laughs> Mr. President... Did you have a drink yesterday? No, sir. You gonna have one today? No, sir. That's all you ever have to say to me. You fought in a war, got me elected, and you run the country. I think we all owe you one, don't you? Judge, without knowing details or special circumstances, what would you say of someone being fired for refusing to take a drug test at the order of the president? Without details or special circumstances? Yes, sir. Without showing cause, I would say that the order constitutes an illegal search. And I would order that the employee be reinstated. Toby? Sold? Judge Mendoza, would it surprise you to learn that for the past few months your name has been on a short list of candidates for the bench? Yes, Mr. President. Well, then, this is going to knock your socks off. Tomorrow evening at 5 o'clock, I am naming you as my nominee to be the next Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. You are not the first choice, but you are the last one and the right one. Will you accept the nomination? With honor. Good. Thank you. Sam and Toby will be in charge of your confirmation. Congratulations. Thank Josh. you. It's going to be an excruciating battle, Mr. Justice, but one I have no intention of losing. What do you say, Leo? You up for a good fight? I believe I have one in me, yes, sir. Good. Let the good fight begin. One of the most impressive things to me about these final sequences is that they show just how much weight Edward James almost kind of brings to this role of Mendoza. And he doesn't even really say very much, but there's just this kind of weight there that is amazing. I mean, the instant you see this guy on screen, he he's just kind of so present. You feel a certain sense of respect for this character. And the way he answers Bartlett's request to accept the nomination by saying, you know, with honor. I mean, you, it just really gives you a, a sense that the team has made the right decision with this particular character. And the whole bit about him not knowing why he is there, <laughs> uh, that seems a little bit unrealistic to me. Uh, but I did love the little quip about the, the, the commission that he, they had told him he was being considered for must have been a hard one to get on. That's a nice little bit of humor in there. And as for Bartlett, there's a lot of the better angels shouting down the demons in this particular episode anyway. Not only with Mendoza, but I, I, he knows the Leo thing is, is is something that he might lose too. Or at least that will end up making him not as big of a winner. Yet he sticks with him. He sticks with Leo. and And that's just another one of those small hints that give us that the show gives us into the friendship that these two characters share. They have aspects that go deeper and deeper uh, as the series explores them and their relationship. Um, but even in the first half of the first season, you already get a sense that these two guys have basically gone to war together. I mean, I know that, that Bartlett says that Leo went to war, uh, fought in a war, whatever, um, but you, you get the sense that these guys are just so close that they may share things uh, between the two of them that nobody else in the world even knows, right? Um, at least I do. And, and finally, I guess I'll say for Josh and Mandy, uh, we see that things are still up in the air about this whole Lillian Field thing. I mean, I mean, there's the, the hint that Mendoza's confirm confirmation will be pretty rough, even if Toby and Sam are handling it. And this Lillian Field thing is still looming, uh, which means that uh, this hasn't been all wrapped up in a nice, neat little bow in a single episode. Uh, despite the fact that you have that wonderful ending of Mendoza walking out with the Oval Office to an applauding White House staff, 
uh, it's still there. There's trouble on the horizon, uh, and that means more good things for us to come as viewers too. Because happy days are here again never seems to quite work uh, for a TV audience. You got to have trouble. You got to have trouble, and you got to have guys fighting trouble. Whether they win or lose is another story, but uh, you got to have the guys fighting the trouble. And I guess that's all I have for this episode, so I'll be right back with my rating in just a second. Again, I have a special grading scale that I go by. You can find that at sorkincast.wordpress.com. And this week, I'm going to rate it an 8.7. This is actually one of my favorite episodes of Season 1. And and it's not just because of the great cast of guest stars, uh, but it's also because of the seamlessness of the theme this time around, particularly. And there's a great look into the characters, and there's an excellent understated music score by Snuffy. So that's why I came to that rating. How do you feel about this episode? Why don't you let me know? You can always send the podcast an email, sorkincast at gmail.com. You can call the Rewatching Good TV listener line, 314-669-1840. Make sure to leave as part of your message that you're leaving it for the Sorkincast. Or you can tweet at Sorkincast on Twitter. And again, you can find all of that information at sorkincast.wordpress.com. Next week, we'll be looking at Season 1, Episode 10, in Excelsis Deo. And if you do have any feedback about these first 11 episodes, get it to me by September 6th, 2015, and you'll be included in our special feedback podcast, which will be the 12th episode of the podcast. In the meantime, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. Bye. <laughs>